Hi, this is Jeff. And this is Mariana. And we're professional storytellers who love books. Welcome to Fiction Friends. Where we take a deep dive into the most popular fiction titles in all of literature. From classic reads and old-time favorites. To modern romance and contemporary thrillers. Join us as we discover new ways to read, look at, and talk about books. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date with every new release. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Fiction Friends. Actually, this is take two for our episode yes. of <laughs> The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Clune. We've yep. actually recorded this episode, but we had technical issues, so we're doing it again. But I don't mind because, spoiler alert, we really like this book. And yes, this is our I favorite can't get for this enough season. of talking about it. Yes. Yeah, so um, before we get into the review, Mariana's here and she's going to do this do us the honors of t- telling us about the spoiler-free summary of the book. All right. So, we have our main character, Linus Baker, who happens to yes. be a caseworker at the department in charge of magical youth. So, it's also known as a daikomi. Daikomi. That's the name of the place I don't know. Well, that's was. how I pronounce it. Daikami. I pronounce it yeah. the other way, so I yeah. don't know which one's correct. Anyway, so his job is to oversee if these orphanages housing children with magic are well and suitable for these young individuals. So Linus yeah. gets assigned to this highly classified assignment where six dangerous kids reside. So this book falls yeah. on the genre of fantasy fiction. So do you have anything else to add? Um, well, he, he gets assigned to a house and there are, yeah, as you said, there are six, six children, quote unquote, problematic children. <laughs> I think we're allowed to say like, um, it's supposedly a very unique assignment yes. and that's why it's a big deal like uh, in his job. And so the entire story is like, it spans four weeks and his time on that island where the orphanage is, right? And, um... A li- maybe yes. a little time before yes. that and a little time after that. So, uh, yeah, that's essentially the whole premise of the story. And maybe, um, Mariana, I can get started on my initial thoughts of the book and then uh, we- you can close it out later. All right. So, again, first of all, thank you, Mariana, for pushing us to cover this book for the podcast this season. It was actually Mariana's idea for yes. us to do the house in the cerulean sea i never would have paid attention to this book otherwise honestly um and i would have been deprived of what was perhaps the funniest read that i've had all the year if i were to ask and trust me i've read a lot of books this year and i think this is by far the funniest one um that i've read if i were tasked to describe my reading experience with this book uh it would be this reading this book felt like a hug I mean, as cliche as it sounds, this book is a breath of fresh air. It's so uniquely crafted and it does a good job of being whimsical without being tacky. And it's light without being superficial. It's insightful without being preachy. And uh, there's a lot of... What I mean by that is there are a lot of lessons that you can learn from this book, but it doesn't come off like you're being taught these lessons overtly. You know, they're just lessons that you pick up along the way because of how well it's written, how cleverly it's written. The book is filled with the subtle dry wit 
and humor that the best British authors are known for, which is weird because Clune, the author, TJ Clune, is actually an American. American, yeah. I was surprised to find out that he was an American because reading this book felt like I was watching a British comedy movie or a TV show. Whether it be through his exposition or the character dialogue, the pacing and comedic timing was on point all throughout the book. And that brings me to what I think is the book's greatest strength, its dialogue. The conversations that the characters have in this book, whether it be between adults or children, it's always packed with comedy or emotional depth or just utter uh, excitement and wit and laughter and all of that. And there's a rhythm to the way that these characters converse with one another that's so unique and fresh without sounding completely unnatural or forced. I first thought that this book was going to be a romance novel because of the Schwab blurb that's on the book's cover. There's actually a blurb on the cover of the book, which, by the way, we'll get yes. into the cover of the book later on. But there's a there's a quote. There's a blurb there by V.E. Schwab, the author of The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. We might cover that in a future episode. We'll see. Um, but uh, the quote says that, I loved it. It is like being wrapped up in a big gay blanket. Simply perfect. So at first, I thought it was going to be another LGBT-centric story and all of that, which, by the way, this is our third LGBT-themed book uh, of the season, I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But... Despite that, it's not really about an LGBT love story, and I'm happy Which because we they, it was, they didn't. Right? Yeah, I thought it was, and I'm f- glad that they didn't force that narrative. It was fed to us so subtly and so uh, methodically that it didn't seem forced, and I love it. Um, don't get me wrong, this book is a story about love, but it's not just about yeah. the romantic, kissy kissy kind of love. In yes. fact, romance played very little part in the plot of the book, and. To the point, it was almost insignificant. It was just something that was nice to have, you know. It was something that was there and it was nice to have it. But it was a welcome addition, nonetheless. I think that one of the book's greatest accomplishments is that it manages to touch on uh, on very important, relevant social and humanitarian issues without it being too heavy. Like, Kloon's writing is so light and well-structured that it makes it easy for the reader to digest themes and issues that would have been otherwise difficult to swallow. And the characters were so Uh well-constructed and thoroughly fleshed out. Of course, I'm not going to say that this was a perfect book, uh, where there are a few things that I would have changed, maybe a few here and there. We'll get into that, Uh into the specifics later on. But to be honest, I had a difficult time being critical with this book. Like I had a hard time finding something to hate about it. That's how much I liked this book. The book, Um, yes. Reading it was such a fulfilling and happy experience at the end of the day that's always what i strive for when i'm reading fiction if it makes me feel good if it makes me happy if i'm enjoying the process then i love it i love i love that book and this book made that incredibly easy for me i love this book i'll recommend it to anyone especially those who are looking for a heartwarming read without it being corny or tacky yeah, so um, Mariana, before I get into your initial review, can we take some time to talk about the cover art? Because um, like we've talked about before, yeah. like it's one of the most um, striking cover, cover arts, arts for had. a modern book. Yes. Yeah. It's like something right? you would... Like it, it pops on the yeah, bookshelf. Yeah, something you would get yeah. in a bookstore, definitely. Yeah. Like it, it catches the eye, and I'm glad that like his he has the latest book. It's called Under the Whispering Door. He get, he yes. got the same cover artist to make the cover art for that book, and I think he saw that 
this particular cover resonated with so many fans and I think that's why yes. he chose the same artist and yeah uh, I mean like there was, I wish there was a way to describe uh, how beautiful the cover why is why the cover art is so nice it's just really filled with like vivid colors and it's really bright and um there's, but even yes. though there's like a certain uh, grimness to it because they're like uh, it's supposed to have like a scary spooky vibe but also it's very inviting I don't know it's, it's really hard you, you just google it see it for yourself um, but yeah that's that's essentially uh, yeah, it's, it's like a fairy tale I rarely go into like, in depth when, when it comes to cover art it's like a fairy tale. Covers, yes, like the Brothers Grimm kind of vibe yeah. kind of fairy tale. But yeah, okay, that's enough about the cover art. I want to hear about Maria's thoughts about the book. So go ahead. All right. So The House of the Cerulean Sea got a whopping 4.47 on Goodreads. I feel like this is one of the highest books we've reviewed yeah. on, right? One of the highest. Yeah, yeah. 4.47. I'm not surprised. I'm not yes, surprised. Because it's of really how good. beautiful the book was. And yeah, 4.47. So let's round it off and give it a 4.5. The writing is super witty and it's up to date. This novel will make you giggle. It'll leave you teary-eyed. The conversations are well put and we have very engaging characters, especially the kids in the home. So reading this was a lot of fun. The characters were fleshed out yeah. well impeccable character development especially for our main character Linus the author really took a sweet time in building the scenic setting and it's like you're marching with them out on an adventure so this book low-key reminded me of Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children because of the premise and how it's also a home for eccentric children, magical children, but it ended there. I particularly love this kid named Lucy, short for Lucifer, who's dubbed as the Antichrist because of the things that he says. So the way he's being also presented. I admire the bluntness of everyone. And I would like to give a quick example for this And it was when the main character first meets this kid who happened to be a gnome and she went like, are you ill? If you are, I think we should go back to the garden so you can die there. I don't want to have to drag you all the way back. So as what Jet has mentioned, it has, well, dry humor is present and it makes it even more funny. And these lines are like consistently delivered all throughout the book. Yes, all throughout. That is why we also really love the dialogue most especially for this book. And I remember yeah. there was also like something that um Satan's son mentioned. It was like, can I get you something to drink? Juice, coffee, or the blood of a baby born in a cemetery under the full moon? So the characters are all unique, all special. You fall in love with them one by one. So this book can also pass up as a children's movie. So many lessons for kids and adults alike. I wish sooner or later they come up with a live action or an animated film for the House of the Cerulean Sea. This book officially tops the list for this season. If I were personally to rank it, this has got to be my favorite. So if you've listened to our previous episode on Neverwhere, I mentioned how I didn't want to read any more fantasy novels till next year. Man, this book pulled me out from that pit. This genre, when well done, lets you in another world and actually enjoy it there. So if you're looking into reading something cozy for the season, a novel that, that'll make your heart burst, read this. Nothing but good vibes. Even middle school children can pick this up and enjoy it just as much as people in their 20s. Which is like which is also something I yeah. recommend 
teachers to add to their reading assignments because you yeah. know like the groups where we belong to the Facebook groups the teachers there keep asking what books to you know add to their reading list for their their students I feel like this would be a great yeah. addition to that so before we move on I want to touch on something that you brought up earlier about uh, the fantasy aspect of the house in the cerulean sea because it is yes. a fantasy book however it's not necessarily fantasy in the sense that like the world building in this book is not as complex or as grand as something like a harry potter or like a lord of the rings kind of fantasy novel it's not like that so don't go into this book expecting that yes however having said that like there are aspects to the world building in this book that are so uh intricately written like it's made to seem like it's based in realism because there is like a real world like the the real world that we know today exists in this book it is still rooted in realism this book to a certain extent it just so happens that there are magical creatures and elements to it and i like how it's written in a way that like it so nonchalantly introduces this man these magical elements as if like oh yeah it's common knowledge that like you know in this world gnomes yeah. exist and like dragons exist and all of that and and then you as a reader you're just forced to go along with it because it feels so naturally written and you're just like yeah you know it's such yes. seamless writing i'm buying into it right away and that's uh, that's essentially the point that i'm trying to make here it's so easy to buy into this book like even if it's so magical and whimsical and yeah. so crazy it's so easy to buy into to it and just like really take a big bite out of the story because of how yeah, immersive it, it is. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and to picture it out. And I'm sorry, I'm I know I'm raving and rambling about this book. It I know I'm so I sound so be. excited. And it's because it is a really great <laughs> yeah. book. Um I would give it a four point five as well. Again, it's not perfect, yeah. so it's not it's not getting a five. Maybe even four point seven if I'm being really yeah. generous. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for our initial review. And before uh, to conclude the spoiler-free portion of this podcast, we're the going context, to talk about yeah, surrounding uh, the, the context book. surrounding yes. this book. So obviously, it's a New York Times, USA Today, and Washington Post bestseller. It's a 2021 Alex Award winner. It's a 2021 Rusa Reading List Fantasy winner. It's one of the Book Riot's 20 must-read feel-good fantasies. because, And I feel like that's really a good def, uh, description. Mm -hmm. of what it is. It is a feel-good fantasy. Uh, T.J. Klune is a Lambda literary, literary award-winning author. What that is is essentially Lambda recognizes the crucial role that LGBT authors play in shaping society. Uh -huh. um, I don't think The House in the Cerulean Sea is a... Uh, it's not necessarily a book that's going to change the world or anything like that, but it is a great book. It is great fiction. And it is, if you like reading, you're going to like Most The House in the Cerulean Sea. Like that, it's a guarantee. And it'll take you out of a reading slump, too. Yeah, it really will. It really will. Uh, so, yeah, I think that about does it for the context surrounding the book and also concludes our spoiler-free portion of the podcast. Uh, please do join us uh, after this short break. We will be talking about the parts of the podcast that do contain spoilers, so please be warned. Um, if you have read the book, please do feel free to join us later after this break. And we'll talk to you in a bit. Bye! Bye! And that concludes the spoiler-free portion of the episode. If you do plan on reading the book, please feel free to come back and join us in the conversation in the second part of this episode. We'll be right back. And we are back. 
So for this portion, we usually, not usually, always. For this portion, we <laughs> always start with the quotes or our favorite lines from the book. Yeah. All right. So let me just begin by saying how hard it was to pick a few quotes because of how many they are in this book. They're not something we haven't heard, but what makes them heart-tugging is because of how they're used in a particular scene. So yeah. I'll just mention two that kind of stuck. They're nothing great, but let me preface that you will encounter more beautiful book, more beautiful quotes in the books than what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was when Linus was explaining each of the kids in one of his reports and adds that I find our perception is colored by what we're taught. And this line truly does paint most of why things happen in this book, like how everyone's scared of the kids and how they're categorized yeah. as second-class citizens. So yeah. that was one of my favorite um, lines in the book. And I guess um, the cutest line for me was at the near end when Linus told Arthur, Thank you. For what? Arthur responds, and then Lina says, this, everything, all this color. So I found yeah. that line very sweet. Yeah. So color actually plays a really big role in the book. Um, we've talked about this yes, before. So the book role. is called The House in the Cerulean Sea and how like Linus is a character yeah. who's like, who lives a relatively bland, colorless life. Like, yeah. Like uh, he's he goes to work and it's the same routine every day over and over again, you know, and he's very by the book. There's nothing creative about him as a about person. <laughs> and um, but he does have like this mouse pad on his desk, which is like the only artifact that he's allowed to keep on his desk. And it's like a mouse pad of the beach and with a caption that uh-huh. says, don't you wish you were here? And when he gets to the <laughs> island or when he gets to uh, where uh, the orphanage where the children are, that's when he starts experiencing a life full of color. And that's when he starts yes. uh, really being his own person and like uh, generating more interest around his character. And that's where we see. How, and I love like how we see how he develops also throughout his stay. Yes. It's a very yes. gradual change. Like um, at first he is very by the book. He carries the book with him wherever uh-huh. he goes. And uh, he's always <laughs> quoting the, the book with all the rules and regulations. Yes. But like, for, for, and then one day it's little compromises he makes day by day. Like one day he stops wearing the tie and then, uh, Eventually, he abandons his quote-unquote uniform altogether and he puts on this explorer outfit because the kids uh-huh. told him to do so. And it's it's like he bends the rules slightly ever so often, like just little by little, to the point where he becomes this completely new person and he undergoes person, this transformation. Yes. But in reality, it's not really he, be- he changes. It's more of he becomes who he's really supposed to be. Supposed the person to be. that he's yes. really comfortable with. And I like the quote that you brought up first and uh, regarding like how uh, colors can shade our perceptions of things because it's a little bit in connection to the first quote that I'm going to bring up. It's from page 65 okay. wherein Linus meets um, Miss Chapel White. Uh, uh, at the start, uh, the sprite, the island sprite. sprite so she yes. says, "Yeah, he, uh, he, she says, uh, I don't pretend to know the minds of men. They fear what they don't understand, and that fear turns to hate for reasons I'm sure even they can't begin to comprehend. And since they don't understand the children, since they fear them, 
this can't be the first time you've heard this. It happens everywhere. So she's explaining to Linus about how the kids can't go to the village because the villagers are afraid of the kids. The village, and like, yes. There's there's this like them, general yes. misunderstanding. Yes. Yeah. And fear of the children. And it's so it's yeah. I mean it's a very subtle dig at how all of us these days are very much divided by um uh the very fact that we don't understand the people what that we don't thought- like. Yeah, yeah, essentially, because we're we're given these perceptions of certain stereotypes or races or, uh, or political people, leanings yeah. or whatever, whatever, whatever divides us or economic classes or whatever, and we are we're taught these things, and but we don't really get to experience them for real. And what this book does that's really good is it teaches us to you can't really understand someone unless you experience them in real life. More than just hearing yes. about them in rumors or reading about it in a book or, you know, learning about them in school, actual experiencing a different culture or a different uh, way of thinking is the only way that you can really understand someone else. And I think that uh, this book, I think that's the central theme of this book. And of this book, yes, of course. It, it doesn't, again, as I said earlier, it's not very preachy about that preachy, message. Preachy, yes, not at all. But it's very, it's so consistently driven all throughout the book in subtle ways and that's why it's so impactful and that's why it's so profound and yes. yeah um i I, th- I only have a couple of quotes actually because um it's more of the moments that really stood out because again i laughed yes, so much uh, at this book yeah. um we can get more into that later maybe i can just read to you my final quote because it is kind of okay. it's another quote-unquote lesson in lesson yeah, okay. uh, line so um it's a monologue that Linus delivers. He says, um, uh-huh. it's not fair the way some people can be. But as long as you remember to be just and kind like I know you are, what those people think won't matter in the long run. Hate is loud, but I think you'll learn it's because it's only a few people shouting, desperate to be heard. You might not ever be able to change their minds, but so long as you remember you're not alone, you will overcome. So Linus is essentially, uh, this is the scene where Linus is trying to pep up Sal after the encounter at the ice cream shop. Uh, and Sal yeah. turns into the Pomeranian, and it's such a <laughs> an uplifting line. And it's like it's like yes. I like how this is. I think this is like the the pinnacle of when Linus accepts his role, uh, and like because all throughout yes. the first part of his stay in the orphanage, he always says to himself like, "I can't. I have to be impartial to these kids. Like I can't contribute yes. in any way. Because I'm merely an observer. Yeah. yeah, and all of that. But like here, he's." He's directly involving himself in a delicate situation, a sensitive situation uh-huh. involving one of the kids, and par- probably the most sensitive kid. And he's totally accepting that this is who I am now. This is who I've become now. I think this is where his character really comes full circle. And Linus has a very interesting character development in this book. And this line is a good culmination of that, I think. And yeah, I think that's why this is this particular monologue was very impactful to me. Um, but mm-hmm. and that's about does it for my favorite quotes. How about you? Do you have anything else? Oh no, that was my my. Those were just my favorite lines. But I have scenes though, like maybe three. All right, maybe we'll we'll get into so the wanna... scenes. But maybe before that, okay. since this book is really heavy on character development too, maybe we can get uh-huh. into it with like the our favorite kids in particular. Kids, yes. So um there there are six kids. There's uh there's Lucy. That's right. Named uh, Fee. 
yeah, Phoebe, the the sprite, and um, there's Lucy, the Antichrist. Talia. Yeah, Talia, the gnome, right? There's She's, Talia, the yeah, gnome. The gnome. Yes. And there's Sal. There's this blob. Uh, the, the green blob, who is my favorite, by yes. the way. Chauncey, my Chauncey. favorite my favorite kid. Yes. We'll get into why he's my favorite later. And then we have the uh, uh-huh. the small dragon. Uh, what's his name? Well, oh, there's a term for his... Um, he's like a little dragon, no? Yeah, I'm not so dragon. sure about that, but he's like wyvern. a little reptile. Wyvern. Yes. Yeah, wyvern. Uh, wyvern, yes, wyvern. Yeah. And... He's this little dragon who like collects things, and then who, who, and then there's Sal, the changing uh, Pomeranian. The Pomeranian. And he, he's really cute, the changeling. He's able to change into Pomeranian, uh, such a random mm-hmm. animal to change into. And I, yeah. I, I like how each kid represents a different issue. You know how like each yes. kid has a very they don't come from the same background but they all end up in the same place and they all have their own distinct issues that they're dealing Uh with in a on a personal level and i like how clune was able to showcase that even if you're young like having issues is not something that's exclusive to adults kids can have legitimate issues that people should care about and that are just as serious, that are just as uh, mature, even. And uh-huh. I, I love it. I like. I, I love how all the kids were written. Maybe Phoebe could have been written. I like. I think her storyline did, yeah. didn't impact me the most. Um, the most, yeah. It was hers, more visual than it was. Yeah. Um, emotional. It, she didn't really drive the plot. Um, yeah. Forward. I think it's also the same with Talia. Talia didn't necessarily drive the plot forward. And um, but to get we get to hear more about her because of this one particular scene that was really yeah. given. Um, the uh, the one where she meets the mayor. Yeah, the one where the they gardener. all go to the village. Yes, yeah, and it yeah. was so like, Talia really gets to shine there. Yeah, but regardless, like again, you can only do so much. Like th- these are six distinct yeah. kids with like distinct personalities, and. I, and you know you also have Linus who we've already talked about who has an amazing uh-huh. character arc like really well written comes full circle and then you have of course Mr. Mr. Arthur um, who the is yeah who is there's like an air of mystery the way that's written about him at, at the start like you know that there's uh-huh. something about him that we don't know yet like as readers there's something heavy about him that we don't know yet and then we go to that big reveal about him being a, At the end, uh, phoenix. a phoenix. So how did you feel about yeah. that? Like, did you see that coming? Were you... I actually did not. Because yeah. Arthur mentions about knowing someone who's a phoenix, right? It was yeah. mentioned in the early part very of the casually, book. Very casually, very casually really, mentioned. Yeah. But I, I almost even forgot that he mentioned that. Yeah. So when it was there that was a casually big rev- mentioned. Like it, it's very forgettable, right? Yeah. Yeah. But like I, I had like other things in mind. I was like, oh my God, so is Arthur like a troll? Like what is he? And then yeah. he's a phoenix and it's just so magical and powerful. Like the 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 being that he was. So yeah. that reveal was very how do I even say it? It was like a wow like that yeah. the moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't expect him to be a magical creature. Um, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I thought I thought he had like I a dark... I thought he was dark, human lang. 
a dark past. Like maybe he a dark past, like uh, mistreated some house. kids or you know, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Like he committed something bad. But it turns out he's the one who was damaged. He's the one who uh, was done wrong to. And he's like the perfect representation of like that character where it doesn't matter where you came from. It matters more yeah. with what you do with your life and like how you end up. Exactly. And uh, again, another well-written character. Uh, very cool story arc. Uh, it might be cliche, but it's effectively written because of the writing style, which we haven't even talked about in depth yet. The writing style. Uh-huh. Well paced. Um, uh, there is a sense of suspense there because you're not given all of the information right away, but um, they're 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 scattered and littered all throughout the book in small pockets, and you're fed them in small bites, and it's like a really gradual uh-huh. build up to the climax, which which was for me um, not that climactic, but it's okay like maybe that was one of my personal gripes about the book like I'm talking about Uh the the village scene where Arthur reveals himself to be the phoenix and all of that Um, yeah that was not my favorite one also it wasn't it wasn't like I feel like it wasn't as climactic as a climax as it should have been but I mean it turned out cheesy more cheesy than it was it I mean although I am nitpicking like that's a very minor part of the book that like of the book like it didn't destroy the reading experience. It's just kind of like, huh? Of course, of you course. You know, just kind of like that. Um, and yeah, so maybe we can get into our favorite scenes. Our favorite scenes. Yeah. So you wanna okay. you wanna go first? Yeah. Um, my favorite scenes are whenever Lucy is present. Lucy is the the Antichrist, the son yeah. of Satan. So whenever he's present, it's one that I particularly like. The first one was when he was like, Hello, Mr. Baker. You would do well to remember that human souls are cheap trinkets to me. He giggled and leapt from the bookshelf landing on his feet. He looked up at Linus and whispered, I love cheap trinkets. And then he'd run from the library. Linus saw him only an hour later, munching on an oatmeal raisin cookie in the kitchen, bopping his head along with a coaster, singing about how they were going to find her, searching every which away. So this scene marks how underneath all the facade, there is this sweet boy who says the darkest, meanest thing, but underneath all that, he's just a little boy with a big heart. So my favorite scene was when they were also in the village because the first thing Talia the gnome and Lucy wanted to do was check out the cemetery so they had this um they had this parang what do you call that what do you call that kind in school you go to a uh, field trip you go to another place field trip <laughs> i can't <laughs> believe i forgot that so they went out on a field trip and it was like them going to the village so yeah. it was so funny because the first thing was that about, like, Talia the, the gnome and Lucy yeah, yeah, wanted to do when they got to the village was check out the cemetery. Yeah. And I remember they would say the most inappropriate stuff like, do you remember that part where um, the mayor who owned that um, tool shop. hardware shop yeah. yeah, recommended a smaller shovel for Talia? Yeah. And then Lucy asked her, how are you going to dig up an entire grave with that little thing? And then yeah. Talia goes... It's not about the size, but what you do with it. Isn't that right, <laughs> Mr. Baker? So yeah. they always put him in a very uncomfortable situation, yeah. which which makes it really, really funny. But it's and yeah. it's so awkward, and it's just yeah. and the I don't and know. Like, 
and the lines are delivered so casually like they're they're meant yes. to be delivered so unironically and then not pushy and then arthur is like like i remember right after that scene where in um talia and lucy and then arthur told them like uh we're not going to the cemetery okay and then the kids were like seriously <laughs> asked seriously disappointed and, and then they were like yes but, but how are we gonna dig up the graves and dig then he the was graves. like we're not digging up graves today <laughs> <laughs> and then i don't know it's like lines like those are delivered so, so nonchalantly like because yeah. uh, because lucy lucy he keeps on like um he keeps on like every time like his grand entrance into like a scene he's, he's always muttering something dark and twisted dark and, and dramatic yes dramatic <laughs> and like i remember like i think he 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 was talking to um he was talking to our, the kids or uh yeah. he was talking to Linus one day and then he was like um um uh, he was talking about like murdering people or something like that and then yeah. um the sprite uh, r- replies to him like uh, uh Lucy what did we say about murdering it's rude to murder people <laughs> was, like, <laughs> yeah like it's so casually it's so casually there. delivered it's so funny and like it's all throughout the book like dry wit and humor all throughout the book it's so hilarious um, I love Lucy his statements are so creative uh yeah. Yes. I find myself feeling so uh, 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 excited to hear what he's going to come up with next. And he's I, so innocent. He's like, so you remember innocent, yeah. that part that they were at the record store with this cool guy named JB <laughs> because Lucy really likes vinyls. He likes music. Yeah, he likes music also. Yeah. So he wanted to buy, uh, I, I don't know if, he, he wanted to buy vinyls, right? Yeah, he wanted to In buy like old store. school records. Yeah. yeah. And then so he met this guy JB and they had the funniest exchange there, Jet. Remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he was like, cool, the, bro. they were totally vibing. And then JB was like, this this kid's really cool. Like <laughs> talking yeah. about like the dark stuff and, and all of that. Like yeah. he wasn't weirded out by Lucy at all. It was all so innocent and playful. And I, I loved it. I loved it yeah. so much. That scene was so funny. And I think the last scene that I really like is still in that village. It was when um Lucy defended their really shy brother Sal, Sal at yeah. the ice cream store. Yes. Yeah. And when Sal sat up next to Lucy, he placed his arm over his shoulder and pulling him close. Lucy laughed and looked up at him, eyes bright. Sal's arm stayed right where it was as they ate. So that scene yeah. almost made me cry. It was so beautiful how Lucy really defends his family members. Like they're really the kids siblings. who he considered yeah, because for yeah. them, they're siblings even if they're different. And it's just so yeah. beautiful to witness yeah. that scene. Yeah. It was really like a whole different experience. And I like how like, you know how like the entire village like just stereotypes all of the kids on that island as being this one uh-huh. one group of weird people. Like they're all typecast mm-hmm. to be a certain way. But us, since yeah. we're given a good glimpse into the orphanage, we know that it's not the uh-huh. case. Like, yes, they are all magical creatures, but not all magical creatures have the same experiences. Lucy has his issues. Yes. Uh, Sal has his issues. Chauncey has his thing going on. And like, they all have distinct stories. But even though they are all different, like all these kids have different stories, they come together and they find a way to just create a community that's so what innocent so so pure so so wholesome that like it it should be the ideal uh-huh. uh it should be the ideal for all communities but 
they are they end up being the marginalized sectors they end up being the ones who are uh discriminated against and typecasted and i i i, I love that whole uh metaphor that that clune laid out for the entire story very mm-hmm. very very subtle but also very uh very poignant and insightful yes Okay, so but a lot of my favorite mm-hmm. scenes, um, there it's gonna be a combination of heavy and light scenes. Most of my light scenes have to do with Chauncey okay. because Chauncey <laughs> is adorable. He's he is your favorite like, character, right? He is my favorite character because um so his deal is like all his <laughs> nobody knows what he is. Like even in the magical world, like nobody knows what type of category of a magical creature what, he falls yes. under. So he's described to be this he like is. green blobby creature with ten tentacles and yeah. it's hilarious and <laughs> so he's made to believe as he's young well he's young he's he was made to believe that like his only role in life is to scare and frighten people but it's only yes, after like he gets to the orphanage yes he's like a monster he's treated like a monster but once he gets to the orphanage arthur tells him that you can be literally anything you want him to anything be anything you want yes and he watches like this movie and he sees a bellhop character and so he decides to be uh-huh. a bellhop <laughs> and arthur being a man of his word telling loose uh, telling uh chauncey that he can be chauncey. all that he wants he to be anything yes. he wants to be he's like very supportive then okay go ahead be a yeah. bellhop and so like the, and, and I love how all of the kids buy into it too like everyone's like okay yeah, yeah sure like he's a bellhop and when and when um, Linus comes into the orphanage and you know Chauncey is picking up his bags and offering to do all the laundry and all of that I found it so hilarious like uh, like he's really uh, he takes the job so seriously, seriously like of being a bellhop yes. and it's so adorable and like he keeps on asking for tips because he knows that that's what bellhops do and then when yeah. they go on the field trip he's so excited to to see the hotel because he knows he's going to see a bellhop and he ends up the asking hotel, the yeah. bellhop for his hat and that was one of my favorite I kept laughing all throughout the entire yes. sequence and there's this one scene towards the end wherein like um, Chauncey uh, Chauncey tells Linus something nice about his pajamas like Linus is wearing like a nice pair of pajamas and then Linus says oh well thank you Chauncey Chauncey put down yeah. your hand you don't get tips for paying compliments to people <laughs> <That's> <laughs> made, because he, he ended up like just saying a compliment so because he wanted a tip and that was so funny um, Theodore is also yeah. really cute one of my favorite scenes of the book was when Theodore decides to reveal his treasures to um to to Linus at the end like in the attic right so cute like he shows him all of the buttons that he's that Linus like sews out of his clothes and gives to to Theodore and he he sews him like the broken vinyl records that Lucy owns you know and it's all these Uh little things like of that reminds him of everyone in the orphanage because they're his little family and he's like Mm -hmm. the perfect representation of the character like you don't have to speak the same language in order for you to understand each other because they all understand Theodore they all know what he's thinking they all know how he feels about certain things and uh, it's I don't know it's so wholesome it's so pure uh, it's so cute the way that they all interact with him even though he isn't speaking English at all it's uh, it's really hilarious to mm-hmm. me um, and yeah so me and I'm gonna talk about my last mo- my last favorite moment is when uh, yeah because it speaks to me I'm a writer and apparently Sal is a writer too uh-huh. so uh, Sal has yes, his yes, little yes, yes, yes. writing desk that he keeps in the closet because yeah. 
he's shy. He's shy to write, and uh, uh-huh. he feels like it's not something. Uh, he's so willing to share to other people, even though like yes. the moment Linus gets to the island, the first interaction he has with these kids is when they are all uh-huh. reciting poetry, like when um, Sal in particular was reciting his poem, and. Yes. When Linus finally gets an in with Sal because he's so closed off at the start and uh, he gets to get in, go inside Linus, uh, Sal's room and he dis- and he talks with Sal about the writing desk mm-hmm. and like he, he understands uh, like how important writing is to Sal and he helps Sal carry the desk out into the room, which, you know, Sal could have done by himself, but Linus is the one who pushed him to like put yourself out there don't be don't hide in the closet about who you are or what you what you like to do or what your passions are don't be afraid to be you essentially that's essentially the whole message Uh of that scene and again it's not overtly mentioned it's not preachy but it's 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 cute it's it's um very impactful it's emotional it i found it very emotionally resonant with me um i love that scene so much and uh, but uh, it's I mean that scene in particular I love but this book is filled with mm-hmm. little scenes like that scenes and like heart-tugging scenes so yes. cute yeah Um. I guess that about does it for my specific scenes and moments do you have anything yeah. else yeah oh wait no sorry I want to bring up one of my favorite scenes was the um okay, the, okay, good, okay. the goodbye expedition so when they all were oh, like no. um, Linus is forced to put on this the explorer outfit again and then yeah. um, it's his final expedition for the day. But it turns out that the kids organized like a surprise goodbye party for him. And they all for had him. like signs for him. And like it, it, it's again, it's the it, it, it shows Linus's character coming full circle. This is not something he would uh-huh. have done in any of the other orphanages that he was at working yes. for or working at. It's it, it was indicative of what the ending was going to be like. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I found that scene really cute. Sorry, before we conclude this podcast, maybe we can talk about how... Wait, wait, wait. I think I have... I forgot to add something. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. So I know we did not really um, discuss this girl, Miss um, Shapplewhite. Was it Yeah, Miss Shapplewhite. Yeah. Yeah, Zoe. Zoe. She's also um, another guardian there who was also a sprite. Like she's there the was guardian a scene of the where, island, essentially. Yeah, the guardian of the island, and there was a scene there where um, they go to Zoe's house. house in that island, and the it first was expedition. really like the first expedition. Yes, and it was yeah. really um, described well. Yeah, it was really visually appealing. Yeah, and it was so magical. It's like when you watch a movie, like example, if. Bad example. But you know how um, in Life of Pi, there was a scene where the whale comes out and it was like one of the best scenes. Yeah, like, like visually striking the, Visually, scenes. yeah. Not yeah. the best, but like the, the most visually striking scene. So I guess that for this book, it would have to be when they first visit Zoe's house. Yeah. Like that I got would that have to be also. like, yeah, like the best striking scene ever. So yeah, yeah it's very atmospheric also. So if you are into something like that, like if you're big in settings, then you will also enjoy this book. Yeah. I mean, I think that scene in particular, yes. But like this book is like the visual, the way the scenes are described are so vivid. They're so visual. 
they're so yeah, vivid. vivid. So vivid. It's so easy to imagine them in your mind. And I appreciate uh-huh. writing like that because it's not as easy as it seems. It's not as easy to write yes, a vivid definitely. scene. It's not easy. Yes. Like I've had so many books written, it's so difficult to picture a scene. But I didn't have that kind of experience with this. And yeah. um maybe with that, maybe we can talk about the ending because I feel like it was one of the weaker yes. points of the book. It's not a weak it's not weak, but it's weaker than compared to the rest of the book then because the entire, yeah. I felt like it was a little bit rushed. Like, apparently, Linus had this whole plan to bring down the um, the whole establishment of Daikomi and of all Daikomi, of that. Yeah. yeah. And, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of understood it in the end, but as I was reading it, like, I couldn't really catch up. Like, I didn't really understand what was going on. Why is this guy collecting uh-huh. all of these papers and data and all that i felt like it was a little rushed i don't know if that was intentional uh-huh. or if you felt that way or not yes or um uh, but i personally maybe feel like there could have been an extra chapter in there like detailing the his mindset and his process a little more yes um but having said that this book is 400 pages long i think Mm-hmm. But, it, but didn't it didn't feel, feel like, like it. it. Yeah, it yeah. didn't feel like we're reading something 400. Amazing. It felt like a 200-page book, um, which yeah. is which is weird because like usually when it's like a 400-page book, I'm usually like, oh, it this could have been dragging. so much shorter. Like, yeah, you know? But this book, exactly. I, I found myself thinking like, oh, he could have written this chapter maybe a little more. And which is yeah. really, which says because a lot. beautiful it was. Which yes. says a lot about this book. Like, I, I ended up wanting more despite it being 400 pages. Yeah, so, I didn't want it to end either. Yeah, well, well maybe, um, unfortunately, like, all good things must come to an yeah. end. And the ending was good. The ending was really good. It's yes. very heartwarming. Um, and uh, in connection with that, maybe we can also put an end to this uh, podcast episode with episode, our final thoughts. Yes. So, um, anything else you want to say that you feel like you haven't said yet about the House of the Cerulean Sea? Nothing that I haven't said yet, but I would highly encourage everyone to please pick this book up. It's such a beautiful book. And I would also like to thank Sabrina, my boyfriend's sister, as she was the one who introduced this book to me Mm. a while back. She was like, go pick this up. And thank you very much, Sabrina. This is such a beautiful and magical read. And we were so happy we picked this up. Thank you, Sabrina. I also have to thank you. I haven't <laughs> met you, but thank you so much. I really love the house in the Cerulean Sea. Um, yes. I feel like anyone who's... like, If you're an avid listener of this podcast, I would assume that you like to read fiction. And if you yes. like to read fiction, you will like the house in the Cerulean Sea. The house I guarantee in the Cerulean it. Sea. Uh, one of my favorite books of the year. Yes, this is definitely my top one. Yeah. Oh my God. Anyway, we're going to get into that. Yeah. By the end of the year, we will be yeah. presenting um our Favorite favorites needs. for both yeah, for both episodes. Yeah. And if you have been listening to our other episodes, this is the only episode that's like a 90% appreciation for the book. Yeah, like, like um Yeah, if you really listen. I mean, the whole point of this like not the whole one of the selling points of this podcast is that Mariana and I we tend to offer different perspectives on different books because we have uh, different takes different on our tastes likes, yeah. and all of that but this book I don't know like we're on the same page it's a great book so yeah, like the two united. of us if we're both into it it's likely that you're gonna be into it uh, I don't know also, I, I, I'm sorry yes. we've been gushing over this book for the past hour um, the, I, I feel like I want to cut this podcast short so if you haven't read it okay. yet 
Um, please do read it. Uh-huh. If you listen to the spoiler portion of the podcast, even though you haven't read the book, that's fine. Go ahead and read it. It won't it won't take away from your reading experience. I promise you. Experience, yes, um, most definitely. Yeah, so thank you everyone to all our listeners for uh, yes. listening to the podcast. Please do, again, please do recommend titles to us. Like The House in the Cerulean Sea, yes. this isn't something we would have picked up on our own. This was also recommended to us. So um, yes, we really feed of off your recommendations. Yeah, yes. uh, We get emails actually. Of, um, we get emails, yes. Instagram messages, and it really means a lot that you guys are engaging with us yes, like this. Thank you yeah. very much. It inspires us to keep on producing more episodes um uh-huh. we're we're this season we're we're involving more fiction friends meaning we're involving uh-huh. more guests into our episode so hopefully it gets to the point where we have an actual guest for every episode um if we get to that point yes. hopefully uh-huh. uh yeah so that about does it for our review of the house in the cerulean sea this has been jet and mariana thank you guys for your time thank um, you please do follow our fiction friends PH Instagram account and uh, message us there get in touch with us there um, we hope you we hope that you guys listen to our future episodes and see you around bye bye